right. So Brock Lurie Podcast, thanks for tuning in. So, you know, one of the fascinating things that, and Ari just brought this up, is about, you know, we're in the year 2020, and uh, we're officially in the 20s. Very interesting. But because things are such that with round numbers like 2020, now we can look at various different time periods and say, okay, 40 years ago, 1980 was 40 years ago. And and then it kind of begs to me the question, you know, me, me being, what, 16, turning 17 in the year 1980, uh, how I look back on World War II, uh, historically, of course, I wasn't born then, but 40 years before 1980 was 1940, right? I mean, that to me, of course, seemed like an eon of time, is a huge amount of time, and it was. But, you know, that same period of time has transpired between 1980 and 2020. And it's really amazing to me how much has happened in history and how quickly history, you know, throttles us. It, here, here we are. And <clears throat> I don't know, it's, it's really quite amazing, Ari, that, that time has that aspect to it. You, it's, it's, I also look at how I have I listen to music, right? I listen to a lot of the music from, from the old days, also new music, of course, but a lot of the music I listen to is Led Zeppelin, maybe a little Pink Floyd. Um, even Radiohead, you know, came out with my, I consider one of the best albums of all time, OK Computer, you know, almost 25 years ago. 25 years before, let's say, 1970 was, what, 1945. You know, would you listen to music uh, of 1945 in the year 1970? No, the answer is no. Uh, it's just, I, I just find it fascinating to, to play with these different things. What, what can we learn from this? Um, not just the advance of time. Here's what we learned. Don't vote Democrat. Okay, now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, That's what I learned. Yeah, I yeah, know. It's true. Well, it's, 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 you say it in cheekily, but I think you're right. Too. I wasn't being cheeky. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, look, look at Detroit. We, there's that famous photo that, that, you know, that they're mashed together Hiroshima versus Detroit. <laughs> okay. So they showed a picture of Detroit in uh, 1945, and Detroit in 1945 was a fairly beautiful city. Motor, yeah, it looked motor like city. Paris. It, it was right? quite cool. The, it was the Paris of the Midwest. It was a, it was a happening city and thriving and uh, all sorts of great economic stuff going on. And then they raced forward 70 years from then. I forget what the year was in particular, but... Like 1986 or something. No, no, no. Uh, no, 1940 to 70 years later would be uh, 2010. 2010. Yeah, Detroit yeah, so, in 2010. Yeah, yes. so it was Detroit in 2010. And they showed a picture of Detroit in 2010... Uh, Totally dilapidated, of course, all the slums and everything else, and it's just yeah, a mess. just rubble, you know, like Hiroshima. Right. <clears throat> Going back to Hiroshima. Then they showed a picture of Hiroshima, which, of course, 1945. Yeah, the day after the bomb went off. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, by the way, this is 2015. That's right. Yeah. So, not 2010, but 2015, the juxtaposition. So, they show the day after Hiroshima had been, you know, of course, the bomb is just the utter devastation, totally flattened, uh, horrific uh, scene. And then 70 years later, the year 2015, you know, how this, it's this thriving, beautiful city, uh, how they managed to, to build it. And one uh, had conservative politics and the other one had liberal politics. You know, it's like any questions sort of thing. Yeah, right? well, and there is a difference. The difference is the liberal politics makes it harder to rebuild Detroit today than it made to rebuild Hiroshima then. Yeah, 
I mean, oh my God. It's a such a it's such absurdity that that we live in these times. It it, it asks the, it. I think it kind of begs the question because when I look back in the year, you know, when I was sixteen, turning seventeen, year nineteen eighty, uh, <clears throat> when I thought about World War One, which had not even World War Two, which had not even begun in nineteen forty. Of course, we it not yet started. Yes, in Europe it had it started, but not in in America. Um, I wasn't born yet, so to me it was ancient history. And you know how it is, you know, when you're a little kid, every year is such a monumental amount of time. Uh, so to me, going back to 1940 was a monumental amount of time. And now the time difference between 1980 and 2020, I was around the entire time. Of course, I was alive and very well aware. To me, it seems very quick. And so it is that I guess that's the point I'm trying to make is that it's our lifetimes that we get to capture the moment. Everything seems quick within our own lifetimes, you know, and all the more so for somebody who might have lived, let's say, between years, who was born in the year, you know, 1885 and died, uh, what, 80 years later, if he had a long life, 1965. Imagine all the things that he must have seen. The crazy stuff that he'd seen, and to him, it would, it must have seemed like a blink of an eye. But he saw the invention of the airplane, the invention of the car, the invention of refrigeration, the air conditioning, um, <clears throat> the computers beginning. I mean, so many wildly different things happening. The washing machine, for that matter. Um, tremendous amount of changes, and to him, it must have seemed incredible. Whereas for somebody who was born in the year, let's say, 1940, uh, thinking about all these changes in the past would not have said the same thing. But it's still the same amount of time, right? No no different. <sighs> anything, I, th- I think we beat this uh, horse pretty dead. Well, I think there's dead. an interesting <clears throat> thing to think of, which is the monumental place in history that our particular generation cloud sits on. We are part of the last generation that knew people who saw that change from the way life was for human beings for thousands of years to the way it's going to be for human beings for thousands of years. Yeah. We're, I always thought, then this occurred to me even as a kid, um, humanity will never go back, God willing, you know, provided we don't have the apocalyptic events that a Greta Thunberg or Al Gore tell us are going to happen, and they're never right, so... Uh, I think it's safe to count that out. We'll never have the nuclear wars that they told us that someone like Ronald Reagan or Donald Trump is going to bring about, because those always turned out to be wrong. So the point is, from this point forward, humanity will live in a technological paradise of sorts, not counting, you know, the downside of such things, you know, surveillance, uh, you know, uh, social credit scores, you know, that kind the of The death stuff. of relationships. Right. Forget all that. I'm just talking about the physical gifts of electricity, vacuuming, refrigeration, air conditioning, you know, all that stuff. So we're the last generation or pretty much the last generation who knew people from the time before and had an appreciation for what the time before meant. Well, you're, you're, you know, a, a great example of what you're saying is uh, Holocaust survivors, right? Among other, we, we are, you yes. know, now I think there is, you know, you can probably count them on your proverbial hand, uh, the number of Holocaust survivors, because time has passed in such a way that uh, the, anyone who survived the Holocaust at this point, 
uh, had been a child when they were uh, in the prison camps. And that's, um, you know, they only have so much memory of it, uh, although they do have a memory, of course. Yeah, and they're old and they don't have much time left. Right. So, and then another 10 years from now, we may, may seriously have one or two left, and that's it. Um, and, and look, that's, that's nothing, nobody's fault but the advance of time. That's inevitable, right? Nobody knows uh, and remembers the, the Napoleonic Wars at this point, right? We only know it from the history books. And so World War II will, of course, recede into the dim recesses of history at some point, uh, you know, and, and there will be no witnesses to, actual witnesses to what happened except the history books, just like the Revolutionary War and so on. So <clears throat> the point is that history... History is uh, a funny animal. It, <clears throat> it's there. I mean, we, we see history. We, we know how history can turn on a dime. <clears throat> um, those 40 years between 1940 and, and 1980 that we were talking about, at least, uh, were monumental. And the, the time period between 1980 and, 1920, and 2020, <clears throat> also monumental in its own way. And so it will be. And, and people have this ten tendency, mostly leftists, to think that somehow everything will remain the same. Everything, uh, you know, it, no matter what we do to our society, no matter how many bizarre twists uh, will, will come to it, that somehow America will survive because it's America. So you can do crazy things like destroy the distinction between man and woman. You can destroy the distinction between good and evil. You can you can erase God from from society altogether, and and you know America will always be America. And and the truth is, you know anybody living between and aware between 1940 and 1980 would say, don't believe that crap for a second. Things can really turn on a dime. And and Ronald Reagan said it very well. He said we're only one generation away from losing everything, losing our sense of freedom. We have to. We have to fight for freedom. We have to remember our forefathers. We have to instill it in our youth. And we have to instill it. Yeah, we, we have we, to re-educate re everything, uh, re reconnect, uh, revisit. And they want to get rid of you know all notion of history. And they want to distort what history you should be learning. And, and then uh, change the history that actually happened, uh, such as you know whether America is a good country in the first place at all. Um, this, this, is, this is bad stuff. So... America will not be America. It's very easy to turn on a dime if you change the fundamentals. I mean, Dennis Prager brings it up. He, he, he says on every coin are the three, uh, the, trinity, the, the Trinity. He calls trinity it. Yeah, he calls it uh, e pluribus unum, unum, which is out of out of many one, uh, uh, liberty, and of course in God we trust. And those three things are the pillars of American society. And if you take any one of them away, uh, it all falls apart. And all three of them are uh, wavering. They're teetering, as it were, on, on a precipice. And we, we seem to think that, oh, you know, uh, we, we talk about freedom in, in a funny way. It's, uh, even the definition of freedom is changing. People say that freedom, and freedom of speech for that matter, is the right not to be offended somehow. You can say whatever you want, but so long it's not offensive. No, you look at, you look at these zombie children of the modern era, these children of the corn, Greta Thunberg, um, Linda Sarsour, David Hogg, Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar, and their zombie mind level understanding of what America is, America was, what America should be. It's alien to you and I, 
and these people are are pushed in the in the media as having some divine insight into what America and inclusivity and diversity is, ignoring that they're the very opposite. Right. And they've come about, as you say, so fast, this turn on the dime moment. You know, I think about these moments that led to what these zombie children of the corn are, where they came from, and I think of a holy trinity that created them. Al Gore's The Inconvenient Truth, the election of Barack Obama, and September, the reaction to September 11th. Oh, what, I'll add one more, and you'll probably say, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and I was uh, just picking three arbitrarily yeah, because the, of the analogy. The to gay Prager. marriage decision in 2015. Yes. That, people don't realize what, a, what an enormous impact that has on our culture. And, it, you know, bad or good, you, you have to acknowledge that it's a huge sea change in our culture. Because what happened was, you know, people look back and say, you know what? The Supreme Court said, okay, what the F? Let's just go ahead and it seems like the culture is changing, so let's recognize, and what's the harm, right? And putting aside the fact that states have their rights to decide what marriage is, for crying out loud, but the Supreme Court, and I think on a, in a very unconstitutional way, uh, said, no, you have to recognize it. No, no we don't. You, we never have to. It, that's, that's not it. It's not the same thing as saying that... Um, uh, blacks should have uh, fewer rights than, than whites, uh, or, and that a law of one particular state needs to be recognized in slaves versus not slaves. It's not like that. Uh, anyway, the point is that the gay marriage thing, talk about turning on a dime, that opened up the floodgates of all sorts of things. because All sorts of lunacy. The, 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 the concept was that all that matter, matters is love, right? And that sounded very sweet. Uh, two people love each other. What's wrong with that, right? So, okay, so the, the answer to that is, okay, what's wrong with incest, right? This is, by the way, this is part of a, a chapter, a subchapter of one of my, uh, in my new book, The Atheism Destroys book, where... <clears throat> Available on Amazon when? <laughs> uh, probably in uh, July. Thank you. All right, so here's the thing. And I'll make a quick argument of this. When people say incest, though, you know, the reason why we don't allow incest, why there's a taboo to it, is because there's a sense of deformities, right? So you're much more likely to have high deformities. Uh, and that, that we can't have as a society, and we don't want that, uh, to which you'd say, well, we have deformities otherwise. You know, what's the, you know, are you saying that people with deformities are lesser? Yeah, do you really want to... What's wrong with a bunch of Prince Harrys running around? <clears throat> exactly. That's a great joke. Yeah, I That's, agree. That is I, brilliant. That was brilliant. High five to that. All right. <laughs> anyway, so, so we move on. So, so, but, it, but it's not about that, because it begs the question, all right, well, if you say that incest is bad for that reason, well, then here's how we get around it. Brady Bunch, right? Right. So those, you know, Greg and Marsha, you know, there's always a hinting that there's something going on between the two of them. It's very funny. Uh, and what if Greg and Marsha decide to have a relationship, right? Uh, you know, while they're still in the same house or after they're out of the house? That's, does that, it still feels like incest, doesn't it? And it is incest. Mm -hmm. And then, likewise, uh, what if a brother and sister, who are biological brother and sister, they decide, hey, you know, they they have the hots for each other, but they, you know, they're not going to have any kids. They're not, you know, they're they're all about global warming, let's say, and they don't want to have kids for that reason. And uh, so, what's what's wrong with that? Yeah, love is love. Love is love. Yeah. And uh, likewise, uh, what if it's a brother and a brother? They can't have kids. Love is love. Love is love. By the way, isn't it interesting that this this theorem holds 
for liberals until they stumble upon one Woody Allen. Then they lose their minds. Oh, it's crazy. Right? Isn't it interesting? And this isn't about Woody Allen, but, you know, as far as his relationship and the oddity of it. And it's, you know, what might or might not be appropriate about it. I'm not bringing that up. It's just, isn't it interesting that liberals love to tolerate everything, but then they have a firewall on him? Right. It's it's weird. I, I agree with you about that. Um, I, you know, the, who cares about Woody Allen and Mia Farrow and stuff like that? I, I, I now understand that actually what Woody Allen did, it smelled like incest, it smelled like abuse, but nothing of the sort was actually right. uh, and, and, in play. Yeah. But but it just seemed that way. Yeah, but they tolerate everything yeah. when love is love. Love right. is love. But that's love. What about that one? Right, so, no! <laughs> so, so let's not worry about that. Right. The, the point is that love is love, like you said. Yeah. And so now it, it turns out, well, I love my dog, right? And right. They, they, they called you being absurd for, for that. But, you know, why not? We're not even talking about bestiality. We're just simply talking about you want to connect with somebody. Right. Now there's, there's people a, mirroring their dogs. There's a famous sport athlete who's decided that he's proposed to his robot. Okay, he has a, he has a robot, a sex robot. And, uh, you know, guess what? She said yes. <laughs> right? She did? Yes. Isn't my that God, wonderful? it's so romantic. That's, you know, who says romance is dead? Anyway. So you have that, and what about polygamy? What more importantly, more more accurately, what about polyamory? That's going to happen. This leads us all, by the way, to our continuation of the predictions for the 2020s. Okay, we talked a lot about it. One thing we didn't talk about, interestingly, we didn't really talk very much about the rise of sex robots, which will, of course, be very prevalent in the future. Uh, we we didn't talk about how polyamory is going to be a, a huge thing. What is polyamory, by the way? Just because you're going to hear that phrase very a lot in the future. Katie Hill. <laughs> Katie Hill, that's true. <laughs> now, people who decide to have uh, not just threesomes, you know, in terms of one act here or there, but to have relationships in this kind of grouping, and it could be a threesome, what they call a thruple. It's the or, show. Or, or, hold on, hold yeah. on, Ari. Hold your horses here. A quadruple, a quintuple, <clears throat> and not not quintuple baby like U P L E, but O U P L E. I know, I know, but you're right. confusing people. Let me just make it really I'm easy. Confusing people. Yeah. It's right. the show Friends, but they're all married and having sex with each other all the time. All right, <laughs> right, right. There's it no, there's no. Oh my God, Ross is seeing her, and no, they don't even ask yeah, those questions. They, they, I guess anymore. they would call that a sex up. It's just a big blob of yeah. People have <laughs> fluids. It's, it's so funny. Like there's, it's it's interesting because I I did some research on my book for that as well, and that is also a, a bizarre uh, sexual phenomenon coming to a theater near you. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, I don't know why you laughed so hard at this. I just like how you said it like, a, like it was a movie. Uh, oh yeah, uh, coming to your you neighborhood know, preview. You just you just had that beautiful marketing sous <laughs> in your voice. <laughs> oh, you're kind. So the. The, the concept is that it's, it's coming there. So you have to, you're going to hear this phrase, polyamorism, polyamorism. And people, if you Google it, uh, all you have to do is say rise of um, thruples and polyamorism. Okay. And you'll find so many articles on this from the New York Times and otherwise about how this or that couple, not couple, what I'm saying, this group is having a sex with, you know, they, they have committed sex among and I use the word among now, not between, among themselves, it might be, it, it doesn't have to be an even Steven sort of thing, male and female, it could be one woman and three men. In fact, there is a story about this, uh, and she is now pregnant by one of them, she knows which one it is, uh, she's due to have the child any day now, 
And everyone's very excited about this. And they're all going to raise the child together. And this is, this is wonderful. And how could this not work? <laughs> That's, how could that, what could go wrong with this? Right. Uh, so anyway, and she, she describes, and they all describe, because they were interviewed for this article, uh, how they initially, when they first, they really liked each other. And initially, they had to get over that primitive emotion called jealousy. Uh, primitive. Primitive. <laughs> primitive. Right, which I thought yeah, was very toxic cute. masculine emotion. Right. That's but they got either. over it and they yeah. said, you know, it's the old fashioned issue and like that, you know, and each of their respective parents, like they, they kind of raised eyebrows because they knew, you know, at least they were open to their parents about it. And their parents were very old fashioned that they're trying to get their heads around this and, and how hard it is for them, but they'll come around to, to seeing what's what uh, and to try to break this taboo. In other right. words, the parents asked the very simple question, what the word with the question mark? <laughs> why are you right? doing? Yeah, exactly yeah. right. And it's because they don't know why, you know, we have, you know, uh, man-woman relationships and why should only be two people, man and woman. Uh, it, it, the, the idea doesn't even enter their mind. So instead they, they go through and that you're the primitive one for not understanding right. them. As if that, <laughs> that... That's the running theme of all these articles, yes, by the way. As if that ancient emotion... That primitive emotion they call jealousy right. did not serve a purpose to guide one into a monogamous relationship right. with a one person, as in mono, in right. monogamous. Right. Exactly. exactly right. So that there's no jealousy. Right. So jealousy, of course, is not a primitive thing. It's like pain, right? You don't you don't shuck off Ignore pain. Ignore that primitive reaction called pain. All right. Let me finish on this. So you have pain, right? You wouldn't say I don't want pain because who likes pain, right? But you want pain if if you got hit in the in the in the leg, you want to know that what something's happening. So or maybe a fire, right? It's right next to your your finger. You want to know. You want to feel the pain so that it can alert you to pull your arm back. Okay, so that's simple. Now, jealousy is the same thing. What, what if there were no jealousy in the world at all? Okay, let's say just you know took it out, and it's an it's an it's an alien thing. We don't even know what jealousy is. Okay, what would happen if no there's one, no jealousy? No every- one would make any effort to dis- express their love for someone else. That's well, what would actually happen. More importantly, nobody could commit to anybody else oh, right, by definition. Yeah. So so if you you know you you connected with somebody, you had a nice uh, relationship with that person and then you like Sally now. Uh, so you hustle over to Sally. Well, Jane is not going to feel any, any jealousy and she'll say, "Cool, no no problem." Yeah, In right. fact, you won't even say no problem. I mean, it's like I decide to have some ice cream today. My wife is not going to get upset that I'm having ice cream, right? right? She's, how could you do this without telling me, or without, you know, without me being present? Now, of course, that's how absurd je- a world without jealousy would be. Right. And so nobody would ever bond because jealousy is the enforcer of monogamy. Right. How about that? Yeah. In the same way, greed is the enforcer for people to strive for the next thing. Right. Right? It's like they they look at these, as they call, ancient toxic emotions, ignoring that they serve an incredibly important purpose to guide you into moral virtuous behaviors. All right. So one last thing about jealousy, and then I want to move to other predictions that we talked about for the 20s. Uh, When it comes to jealousy, what's so funny about these things is that the... In this case, the quadruple, okay, the one woman, three men, uh, they're, they're not jealous, of, you know, that one will sleep with the other and all that stuff. It, they're cool with that, okay? And, like, first of all, it makes you think about, um, a, 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 let's say, a, 
a quad of four people who are sharing an apartment. Forget about sexuality or having any sex. They're just roommates, four of them, let's say. And then, but they get upset when one doesn't do his share of the dishes or takes out the trash enough or whatever it is. Whatever their perception is, they're going to be upset about oh, it. Oh, that's just primitive emotion. Right? That's, but that's not jealousy even. That's just a sense of, hey, you know, you're not putting in your time. Right. Right. So the same thing would apply to having intimacy with this woman. And by the way, the three of them are not gay and, and they have no bisexuality sense. So it's all each of them having sex with this one yes. woman. And uh, so she's got, you know, basically three men to, to satisfy. So what if one of the men uh, feels that another guy is having too much emotional and sexual time with this woman? Uh, what, what happens then? You know, so it is, you don't have to call it jealousy, but you, it's the same thing with the dishes that I just talked about. You, don't tell me that there's not going to be some problems there. Second, and this is a bigger issue, they may very well agree with each other that sex within this foursome is totally fine. Okay, whoever happens to be home and whoever feels uh, a little ready. randy yeah, ready for uh, and ready to go for it, fine, that's his business. But what if one of the guys says, you know what, there's this other girl that uh, kind of looked at me kind of cutely and I kind of like her too and, and he decides to go for it. Does the woman in that case, does she get to be jealous? Or do the guys get jealous and go, you're ruining our thing here, you know? Right, but, but there's jealousy. Of That's course. the point. Yes. There's, it, it, it's, it's just you're redefining where the jealousy no, is. That's all. There's this wonderful... Stephen Crowder said something so brilliant about the, trans, the transgender people, um, saying, just because you're pretending to be something doesn't mean I have to be part of your pretending. Right. Right. Just because you're playing cop- cowboys and Indians doesn't mean I have to pretend you're actually a cowboy or an Indian. Right. Right. <clears throat> so just because they're pretending that no one's jealous doesn't mean it ain't happening. Of course. Okay. It doesn't mean that the guy who got to plant his seed first isn't more alpha than the other two, and the other two betas are going to start agitating once the baby comes and they realize they didn't get to breed or plant. I mean, trust me, those things are coursing through their biologies, and they can pretend all they want that they're not happy. They can, uh, an alcoholic can pretend all they want they don't have a problem. Well, here, here. You know what I mean? This goes on and on and on. What is, is. You can pretend gravity don't exist, but when you step out the building on the 12th floor, you're going to wind up splattered on pavement if you you know, when reality takes hold here. Well, exactly right. I mean, it's, it's, it's that basic. And, you know, Tom Wolfe called it the great relearning. And when he talked about the 60s in particular, yeah. where the hippies decided that they don't, they don't need this thing called showers. They don't need, they don't need to be uh, committed to anybody else. And it's all free love and such. Uh, and then they learned through the great relearning that there's a reason why we shower. There's yeah. a reason why we have Monogamy. There's a reason in Los Angeles why we have vag- had vagrancy laws. Right. There's a reason why we have public health laws, okay. et, cetera, so, et cetera. So let's let's move on, Ari. So because- is your prediction, let me just ask, is that do you see us on the cusp of a great relearning the hard way again? Yes, of course. I, w- I watched two events <clears throat> in the last two days that tell me, yeah. One is the football game where Donald J. Trump, who's our president, goes out onto a field in front of like 70,000 people and... Okay, so, wow. so 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 okay. It it tells you you're, you're, you're going, going you're going you're going somewhere far afield from where I want to go. I'm talking about the great relearning from a cultural sense, not about who's going to win in 2020. I'm talking about 
these issues that have to uh, be resolved within ourselves. And the, the relearning implies that no one's learning from history. That's the key thing we're talking about here. And so what, what's happening with polyamorism, we're going to deal with this and people are going to insist on this. But again, when you have a pushback from society saying this is dangerous, this is destructive to our society, they'll say, how can you say that? You're being polyamorous phobic or whatever, okay? That's, that's the, the mantra that they're going to say. Same thing with the same-sex marriage issue. When, when we opposed it, uh, people said you're being phobic. Okay. So you, yeah, you're being love phobic. <clears throat> that's right. So, you, so people <clears throat> were afraid to say that they, they really questioned this, this notion of, uh, of gay marriage. And likewise with global warming and all these things. So, so once you go down this road and they scream at you that if you don't believe what they believe, uh, you know, and you don't believe it as extremely as they believe, but then you're, you're doomed. Okay, it's, it's very hard. Likewise with the climate change nonsense. Uh, these people are true believers in the worst sense of the word. Uh, they want you to be banished from all thought. They want to penalize you whatever way they can whether it would destroy your business or even to fine you, and sometimes to even incarcerate you because you don't believe that the way they do. Look what's happening with um, people that don't, uh, churches that refuse to acknowledge gay marriage. Okay, so now if you don't subscribe to that, then they're threatening to not allow federal uh, charitable contributions to be honored uh, by the churches. Yeah, they're going to pull the taxes out of status, if you will. That's, that's what I meant. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, that's, this is bad stuff, you know, and, and then you wonder, how are we ever going to get to the relearning about this? You know, usually there's a, there's a push and pull, push and pull. And what happens when there's just a push and there's no pull? You know, do, do you ever get to the right place? You no, can't. Well, that's why I mentioned Trump the other day. I wasn't putting it in political context. I was putting it in cultural pushback context. I, th- I think you're right, but... Look, because I think there's a massive amount of people who are sick of this. Wait, 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 wait. I'm going. I'm going there. Don't worry. Um, I I hope that you're right. That this pull, pulling back, let's say, to say, okay, you've gotten you've gotten too crazy, guys. I think there is hope. Um, I saw it just recently. We saw it just recently in the British parliamentary elections. A massive victory for Boris Johnson's party. Right, the Conservative Party, and uh, it is—it was wondrous. It was fantastic for us. Um, and I forget who wrote the the piece, but it was a fantastic one. We don't have to get into it. The, the basic gist yeah, of it. We talked about it, like three weeks ago. Like we just, yeah. It. The basic gist of it was that uh, this was not just politics; it was cultural centric. The notion that the people were tired of their culture being taken away, their their entire value set was being was being altered and and um, hijacked. That's what they were rejecting. Not just you know rejecting this particular person because they felt he was not effective versus him being effective or anything else or even Brexit. It was about a big cultural shift, feeling like they they needed to bring back uh, this notion of uh, who we are as as English people, um, British people rather, uh, and that's partly Brexit, yes, but. There's a sense of we got to get back to where we were. It's, it's madness where Muslims can uh, can kidnap and, and rape and groom with impunity and the police do nothing about it. 
and the judges don't enforce it, uh, laws against it, because, well, they're afraid of, of being considered Islamophobic. Yeah, and then they throw people in jail who, like Robinson, who, who dared pointed to report out. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So now going back to America, and, and I think the Democrats, particularly Ocasio-Cortez and a couple of others, said uh, when they saw the British election results, they said this is a massive wake-up call. We have to be really concerned here because the Democrats are basically Bolsheviks, right? The leftists are Bolsheviks, and the, like the Bolsheviks in the Russian Revolution, they were only 5%, 6% of the population, and yet they managed to control the entire Russian government for 70-plus years. It was awful, right? We all know the, the horrific results of that. And thankfully, we still live in a democratic society, and we're able to push back on this and, and to, to fight this tyranny of the minority. It's a very important point to remember. And the voices of Americans are being heard loudly and clearly. And that's what happened in Britain and what's going to happen in America. The, and I, I gave this, uh, this link to you, Ari, recently about uh, this LSU-Clemson game that happened, a football game, uh, and President Trump and Melania were there. And they introduced, they, the announcer introduced um, the President of the United States and the First Lady, and he, they walk in, and the thunderous applause, I heard it, I saw the video, was so shockingly, beautifully, thunderously deafening. I had never heard anything that loud in my life. In my life. I would guess, you know, just looking at the stadium was, uh, I mean, I guess we can Google and find out exactly, but it was such a huge stadium, about 120,000 people, I would guess. It was something that was so exquisitely huge, and people were so on their feet, yelling and screaming with joy for this president. You can't manufacture that. Yeah, it, it wasn't just like, Oh, we voted for him, so we're going to give up. The, it's, you're talking about the intensity of the love for this man. The intensity was so there. Uh, and, and they love it. And then they shouted out, USA, USA. I mean, it was so organic. Yeah, and four more years. And it wasn't like if the Democrats were there doing their stupid coordinated, bum, 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 you know, you know how they... The hell no, we won't go, kind of whatever right, it yeah. is, or no justice, no peace. It was completely organic, completely thunderous, and it was a level of intensity. It, I hadn't even seen it for Reagan, who was the last guy who right. had this kind of thing. It certainly wasn't, and I'm mentioning other conservatives in this case, It wasn't, or popular presidents. It wasn't Bush or even the, the enthusiastic applause Obama would get at a basketball game or something. Right. It was... It was a level of intensity that they understood that this man represents that cultural pushback to all the insane crap that is assaulting our sensibilities day in, day out. Right. I think you're so right. The, the difference, and you can hear it, was—and bear with me as I, as I explain this. When Obama would appear at an event and people might applause, not at all as loudly as this, but they would applause— um, uh, applaud. It was more like they, they were applauding who he was, uh, what he stood for. Okay, that's fine. First black president, or they like that he's a Democrat, fine. When the people applauded for Trump, not only 
were they plotting him for what he stood for, but they were plotting for what he has done and what he's promising to do and how he is effectuating his promises. They're showing his, their appreciation, just like you and I would. If he were to come into this office right now, we would not only say, thank you so much for, you know, it's great to see you, great for your conservative values. Thank you for what you've done. We really so honor you for what you're doing. Keep it up, sir. And, and that's what I think everyone is doing. And these are the, the quiet voices, the ones that are not demonstrating the, streets, uh, demonstrating the streets like the women's marches and the gay pride parades and all that nonsense. These people are the multitude of Americans who vote, who work quietly, and they vote quietly. Yeah, this was the vocal, the verbalized reaction of John Q. Normal, the forgotten man, if you will. Yeah. You and I, the ones who aren't going to this or that march or event or, you know, public display or being noticed by the media or being told how virtuous we are within the virtues that are elevated in this society by the popular culture. This was the normal people. And they were saying to ES through ESPN, which was broadcasting this event, a gigantic F you to all the weird crap that is constantly shoved down our throat. All the anti-American stuff, especially in light of like the Soleimani incident uh, a week ago, saying, thank God you're there for us. Here's right. finally a guy who's who represents us. Right. It's you know? fantastic. And, and then the and, Democrats and, turn around and trying to impeach this guy. It's like, I can't think of anything more foolish than they can do. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually glad they are. Yeah, bring it on, you idiots. They are appreciating two things. Two things in the extreme. One is the culture and how it's really being bastardized and uh, horrific things are happening in the culture. And they don't like it. They, they, they need to respond to it. And so that's one thing they're reacting to. The other thing they're reacting to together with that is that this man, Donald Trump, is actually responding to it and responding to it in a forthwith way, in an aggressive way, in a I don't care what you think sort of way. And they love that. Finally, a man who, who gets it and who responds to it and doesn't make apologies for responding to it, doesn't try to nuance it. He calls BS BS when it is BS. Okay, and so and he makes fun of like like Elizabeth Warren just you know calls her Pocahontas because that's exactly what she deserves exactly to call what she is yeah yeah so um, and how how she lies all the time he says it he doesn't nuance it George Bush would never say such a thing John McCain would never say such a thing you know what maybe Mitt we need Romney. maybe we need somebody who says such things and that's why we love Donald Trump he is really changing all that. And, and that's why the thunderous applause, that's why the appreciation more than anything else. You're hearing the cries of people saying, thank you for responding to this nonsense. That's why it's all out there. And the Democrats do not see it. I'm totally fine with them not seeing it. Yeah, like, and, and, like you and they said, have contempt for us. Right. They have contempt for these normal good people. Right, because they're the elites, so to speak, uh, as they call themselves. And they know better than us. And they're in the positions of power. And diversity as, is our strength and whatever exactly else. Right. So they'll, you know, they think that that's the mantra, that's the theme that we're all following somehow, and we don't buy this crap. And, and you think we, we like what you're teaching our kids in school? Are, are you crazy? We're never going to allow that. So 
Yeah, it would kill me inside if my kid turned into a David Hogg or a Greta Thunberg or a Linda Sarsour. It would be nauseating to right. me. No, we. And I'm happy to say my kids laugh at those people and go, oh, my God, Daddy, what an idiot. What a fool. Right. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, but uh, about how to respond to such things. But, you know, we all want to channel our inner Trump in that sense, right? So th- this, these are big changes. So here's the pull. We're finally getting that pull from the push and pull. And we're hoping it's not too late. Uh, certainly Trump is the strongest man in, in that department that I've ever seen in my lifetime. I, he probably may be the strongest political uh, conservative in all of American history. He is. He may, very well, he may very well be the best president we've ever had. Yeah, he's, in many ways, he's like an American William Wallace. The, the story of William Wallace with, with the Braveheart movie was a man who showed them how to take care of themselves, yeah. how to fight, how to stand up this. The reason they attack Trump the way they do is because they know as Trump succeeds each day, all of us are now not afraid to be silent. All of us will talk like him, tweet like him, think like him. We channel and our when, inner Trump. Right, and when people do that and act like Americans with balls again, then they can't win. Because right. there's those of us who say, men marry men, please, get out of here. Garbage in the street, clean it up. Right. You know, vagrancy, uh-uh. Right. Ship them out. Mm-hmm. G- uh, g- criminals let free. Uh uh-uh. uh. You Shoot go, girl. Em. You go. Shoot up. Uh, mm-hmm. A news you were talking last week. This was amazing. Uh, it, it was a prediction that came true from last week. News came out yesterday that gun applica- permit applications in New York City among Jews are up over a thousand percent. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's a awesome. community screaming for their Second Amendment rights to defend themselves against this vile criminality that has been unleashed by voting Democrat. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, look, predictions for the future, again, for more, more for 2020. A lot of them yeah, are— Yeah, since yours from last week have already come true, we have to unfork <laughs> exactly. some new ones, right? <laughs> right. I, I think that we will have—look, um, the, the push to make guns illegal, the possession of them illegal, and only to, only to keep them with the police, of course, that, that'll always be a fight. Likewise, with abortion, that'll always be a fight. Um, at the end of the day. Not after the next Supreme Court justice. Oh, uh, yeah. No. <laughs> that could be gone very soon. Yeah, so a lot of things will be in play. But culturally, the, the pushes for certain things you'll start seeing. Now, Ari, you brought this up, and at first I kind of thought, hmm, I don't know about that. Uh, but I've come to believe that you're right. Uh, the notion that they're trying to normalize, or at least to decriminalize, pedophilia. And to allow for the sexualization of children and to take away the demonizing of that, they will start treating uh, sex with minors in the same way that... They're going to treat it like an orientation. Yeah, it's an orientation. And and, and what they're already doing, I mean, look, on the one hand, the Democrats, even the Democrats today, understand that a man who's... You know, let's say 30 years old having sex with a girl who's 12 years old, that that's wrong. They understand that, okay? But at the same time, they're teaching their children, that same 12 year old, how normal and wonderful sex is, and it's just a pleasure. And, uh, you and know, love is love. And love is love. And, and it's, you know, and there used to be a taboo about sex and, you know, but, but you, whatever feels good feels good. Right. Those were just ancient emotions. Right. You know, so, so what like, like do you jealousy. not see? Do you not see 
that there is perhaps a conflict between these two things. On the one hand, you tell us that sex is just for fun and it's like eating ice cream. It's pleasurable. Go for it. Why repress yourself? It's like telling yourself you should never eat ice cream. Why, why, why inhibit yourself like that? Well, you're, you have sexual urges. Well, then what's wrong with pursuing them? And at the same time, you, you say that uh, a, a voluntary consensual act with, with a man who's older is somehow uh, not good. Okay, now, of course, I think it's a horrific crime. I think it's a crime almost worse than murder. But the way that Democrats are talking out of both sides of their mouth is, you know, where do you think this is going to go? Right, that's why I brought up the Woody Allen firewall, because it shows emblematically these, these contradictions that are everywhere. On the one hand, they say, essentially, white males must control themselves. Then they say, but everyone should have sex, love is love, sexualized children. Right. Right. And then they go one step further. We love children. It's for the children, but we abort them. And then we go one step. There's two more steps here. They go one step further, and it's we love children, but abort them. But those who survive, we should castrate them. Right. Unconsensually as children, both with drugs and surgeries. And then one more step, and uh, don't body shame Lizzo. Right? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, Lizzo. Liz, beautiful. More to love. Well, and then they and say, for those on, who are of oh, the yeah. demographic of the fans of this podcast, Lizzo is a modern rapper woman who weighs like eight hundred pounds, and someone who's a workout guru said, "I think she needs to lose a little weight." And then she was attacked in popular culture for daring to say Lizzo isn't beautiful as she is. Well, right? that's the push and pull that we're talking right. about, right? That's the insanity so, of this. So that, that's push and pull, where you, you can't call a, a very fat person who's unhealthy, a very unhealthy. fat person, unhealthy person, because, you know, that, that might be shaming them, and that's the, we can't have that. Never mind that she'll have a heart attack at a very early age, and, and people will say, well, what did you expect, you know, really, in whispers. Right. The same thing, you know, is an additional thing to all of your nice little list there about, you know, the one thing versus the other. You know, on the one hand, they tell us that sex is wonderful. On the other hand, they say sex is an act of, uh, it's inherently an act of rape. Right, an act you know, of it's, oppression it's, rape. It's an, an inherently oppressive. And the heterosexuality is, is no longer fashionable. And everyone, you know, women should be having sex with each other. And, and men can go with the sex robots. And where do you think that's going to go, that right. whole attitude? As long as women, as long as white women are being, and I've, I've heard a liberal actually say this to my wife. As long as white women are being raped unconsensually by diverse minority men, then it's fine because it's reparations. If a man dares to have consensual acts of sex with a woman and he's white and heterosexual, the patriarchal privilege of his inherent whiteness makes it a rape even if she doesn't know it. Right, so there, I've heard them say that. So there are different forms uh, and, and enforceable forms of rape and uh, there are non-enforceable rape. You're right, yeah. it, it, depending on the victim. So, for example, the, and without drilling down on it, the anti-Semitism that's going on. Bingo. So, on the one hand, if uh, you know, if a, if a man, a white man, beats up a black man because he's black, presumably because he's black, and yeah. if it's just a regular fight, then it's a regular fight. But if he beats up a, a black man, or a cop does that to a black man, a white one, a white cop, then that's of course pure racism, and this guy needs to be shunned, and he needs to go to prison, and perhaps throw the death penalty at him. Right, uh, which of course is it's awful. I mean, racism it should not exist. But if a black man beats up Jews and Orthodox Jews in Williamsburg, New York, uh, because they're Jew and says "Die Jew, mother effer" or whatever, while he's doing so, 
Well, you know, that's understandable. Yeah, he was having a bad day. And, oh, we need to have bail reform. And by the way, it's not even a question of, of not enforcing it, which is bad enough, right? They literally say that there are different, you know, that that kind of form of, of racism or anti is it's a lesser level. Bingo. They, they literally have said that. Yes. And, and that is a bizarre circumstance going forward. Okay, so we're seeing a lot of crazy things. Right, so what, just, what, these, just to add a, a, a cherry to the Sunday, just let's go back to that Wayback Machine. Jussie Smollett says he was attacked in the fashion you said in the first part of the example. Never happened, but he said it happened. The media went nuts with this. Several Jews in the last two weeks were attacked that same way in New York. Nothing. Right. Yeah. So nothing. Right. Right. So so there are three aspects. Right. One is that uh, you know one one matters and one doesn't matter, and then the, the way the media covers it. So that's I guess the third one, the way to cover it. So look, here's a, here's another prediction for the future. So. More, the bigger prediction is this. Uh, we talked a lot about the New York Times and how it's going to be irrelevant. There won't be any New York Times, right? Tell me again, George. <laughs> Just say that again. That's so nice. There will not be any New York Times. Oh. It, when people say... Imagine be, no media. <laughs> right? Hold on. Stop, stop, stop. All right. I, I know you like to chime in, but let me get through this thought. Sorry, I was having a fantasy. I know. No, it will happen. The, the New York Times will collapse. And people talk about the old gray lady, and it's uh, such a sign of the times, and they'll blame it on Trump. And you you get the idea. Yeah. But bookstores have been around a lot longer than the New York Times has been around. And now we don't have any bookstores. Music stores, or that form, have been around for a lot longer than the Washington Post. But now we don't have any music stores, and so on down the line. So it won't be that big a surprise to me when the New York Times does fall apart for various reasons, right? I mean, look, TV doesn't exist the way it existed when, when we were little, right? I mean, you had, what, six, seven available channels uh, when, you're, when you were a kid. Yeah, that event with Trump on Monday night is one of the rare incidences of actual TV being TV again, where we're all gathering around this okay. thing at the same time. Right, I, I got it, I got you it. But, but, but please, let's not distract. I'm simply saying that... TV is very different, yeah. and that's changed. And, and then it went to cable TV. Most suddenly, people were cutting the cord to go to cable TV. I mean, yeah. cutting the, the TV cord, so to speak, only watching cable. And now people are cutting the cable cord so that they can go to Apple TV and Netflix and otherwise. Right. right? It's all appointment viewing. There's no longer, right. or it's all on demand. No more appointment viewing. Which you know, I have no problem with that. That's yeah. technology, and and frankly, now we have far more choices than we ever had before. Which gets back to my New York Times point, which it, because now we have a tremendous amount of news sources that are reliable, that that we feel are accurate, um, and we can know because the accuracy eventually reveals itself, uh, oftentimes by elections. So those news outlets that predict uh, a certain election outcome and they, they tend to be right, well, then we'll listen to them again. That's the way it works. And what you'll see instead, and uh, Matt Drudge is a good example of this, a Drudge report, it's, it just kind of brings in a whole bunch of different sources. You can pick and choose among the stories that you like. And they may be from, one might be from the Daily Mirror, one may be from the Washington Post, one may be from the Washington Examiner, uh, or the LA Times and so on. And these are the, the interesting stories, and it doesn't matter 
uh, the initial source. Nobody gets all of their news from the New York Times. That's absurd. All the news that fit, that's fit to print is no longer all the news uh, that you need to read. That's it. So it's a dying model. That's why I'm saying the New York Times will have to fail. All the newspapers will have to fail. They will be just like the bookstores. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> I mean, that applies to the Wall Street Journal, too, by the way. It's not, you know, the, the people that get the Wall Street Journal, they generally get it because they want to read the editorial section. Okay. Well, that's because they like Daniel Henniger. They like uh, Kimberly Strassel. They like whatever. They, 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 they like those particular minds. And so those particular minds will sell their articles on their own. That's the way it is. I mean, that's, and that's a great thing. Just like a, a singer can sell his or her own songs one at a time or as a grouping of songs, but you don't, you don't buy whatever Decca Records, you know, to right. the extent you that it shows. You gave that example last week. You don't buy a book because Random House published it. Right, right, exactly right. It's <laughs> just so antithetical to, to you, you buy the talent. You buy the article, as it were. And, and so you're going to see the death of the New York Times. And, and, and I say New York Times, uh, all the liberal stuff first. They are going to go dead first. Yeah. But eventually the conservative ones too. Because there's no need for a, uh, a grouping like this. You'll just simply, you know, even Apple News is already doing this. Right. Where they're kind of following the, the direct report model of taking little bits here and there and calling it, here's your news, news stories. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to their credit, they asked me, what do I like? I, well, I said the Wall Street Journal. I said Fox News. I said mountain biking. I said, you know, vegan interest, stuff like that. Uh, and, and whatever floats my boat. I'm not interested in fashion. I'm not interested in, um, you know, European soccer. So I'm, I don't get stories in those areas. Why would I care about those things? I don't care about, uh, you know, Indian cuisine. I just, I'm not, it doesn't, doesn't float my boat. So... That's the way it's going to be in the future, and it'll be far more choices, and guess what? It'll be far more accurate, too. That's good news for us. And then accuracy. Th that might be the pull that we're talking about in our future. I love it. And I'm ha I, have, I actually look forward to the 20s because, you know, until this election, God willing, that Trump will be reelected. I think he will, and I think he'll be elected by a landslide. You know, as Hugh Hewitt once said, uh, if they, they can't win if they don't cheat, right? So, sorry, <laughs> they, what, is, what is the expression? They can't uh, win, they can't cheat if we win big, something like that. Right, right? they can't cheat if we, or they can't win by cheating if we win by big enough. That's essentially the, the message. Essentially, and it's obvious to those of us who have brains now, when you see what happened Monday night, when you see this thing, when you see the M results, Monday night is the applause that right, you're talking the about. The thunderous applause. Yeah. But more than that, even in red states where you have blue cities, the people in those blue cities are getting sick of blue governance. Yeah. I know so many people in Los Angeles who are who've been voting liberal forever. And they're now starting to see that link between the blight and the crime and the disgustingness in the streets and the way we've been voting. Yeah. And I say collectively, yeah. not me, but them. And they're starting to make that connection. Yeah. And they're going to vote for Trump as a massive FU to the vagrancy, the crime. And I was, I was saying one interesting point to um, someone yesterday. I said... There's an interesting dynamic that increases in crime and vagrancy have on people and their, their voting choices, which is this. There's the old saying, uh, a, a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged. And while true, 
in, in many senses. Think about it this way also. Two dynamics. Um, if you are in Los Angeles and you pick a point, an intersection, and you think of a, a one-half-mile uh, radius, so one, a, ra a, circu a circular one-square-mile uh, space, if you put look at one of those homeless camps of 20 people, and then you think of how many people in Los Angeles, based on the fact that we're this kind of city, are have residences within that mile zone. And think about how it might be, depending on population density, anywhere from five to 12,000 people. Think of how those five to 12,000 people are having their lives, their daily lives compromised by as little as 10 homeless people living in a tent at, the, at point A. Fine, fine. Okay? Get, get, so, get the, 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 so think about the effect that has on how people think about politics in their city. And then think about this, how whether you're the person mugged or not, as crime increases the way it is, more and more of us are going to know someone who got mugged and are going to know more than one person who got mugged. Okay, yes. And that's, the, right, that's what I mean by that dynamic that's happening, the Trump effect. As people live governed by this insanity, they start to make that real crossing the Rubicon of going, you know what, I think I have to Well, so this is what we're talking decision. about when we say that these cultural uh, push, and push and pulls are coming to a theater near you, Yeah. right? Whether it's the transgenderism, whether it's the push for um, pedophilia, whether it's the push for teaching sex education, you know, dramatically to your kid. I, all these things are coming now. They're coming to light. As, as, as usual, the Democrats always screw their, their positions up because they, they always go too fast. They always expect it too quickly. And then it awakens people in a way that brings them to resonate, as they did this past Monday night with that thunderous applause. It was so emblematic to uh, what we're going to see in the 20s. God willing, Trump will win in 2020. And then, God willing, uh, not only that, but we'll have uh, two more, at least, uh, Supreme Court um, nom nominations. And things will get far better for us uh, as we go through the cultural wars as well. We're going to see a great new awakening in the 20s, I think, uh, despite some of the cultural pushes that we're getting. Good news is all this transparency, all this information is allowing for us to pull back. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you next week.